Welcome to the New Schools Podcast. There is a revolution in education happening, and that's what we're excited to share with you. But the New Schools Podcast isn't just about the schools that are new, the modern buildings that we see cropping up around the world. We care about the philosophy that drives those schools and their founders, and how that looks in practice, regardless of the physical space. So in today's conversation, you'll hear about homeschooling and world schooling, and we here celebrate those as excellent alternatives to traditional schooling. Today, Shannon is talking with Sarah Moore. Sarah has a graduate degree from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. She is certified by the Raffi Foundation for Child Honoring. Yes, that's the Raffi Foundation for Child Honoring, as well as from the parenting courses of Dr. Vanessa LaPointe. She spent a year observing Teacher Tom, who's one of the world's leading practitioners of democratic play-based education. She also works with worldwide best-selling author Elizabeth Pantley, who writes about gentle parenting. Sarah founded Dandelion Seeds Positive Living, which helps parents and educators bring more play and positivity into their homes and classrooms. I'm doing air quotes, wherever in the world those classrooms might be. In this conversation, she talks about her training in improvisational comedy and how that supports and fosters playfulness in adults. Of course, being able to create that connection with children is such a huge part of getting them engaged in their education. And Sarah is someone who definitely leads by example. I hope you enjoy our show. Now here's your host, Shannon Falkenstein, talking with Sarah Moore. What we're trying to do right now on this podcast is to kind of equip parents with tools and inspiration parents who are kind of like the traditional system isn't exactly working for me or i don't exactly love what's happening there so i'm thinking of alternatives but they don't know exactly what to do or exactly what the alternatives are so i think maybe from a parenting perspective like what has your journey been as a parent to to decide to choose to do something different Sure. Yeah, great. And I can definitely kind of weave parenting with whole life into this discussion because, of course, we are whole people and we don't just have our parent part versus our, you know, rest of it, whatever it may be. So for me, I was an older parent. I, you know, growing up, I always thought I'd, you know, when I was like eight, I thought I'm going to have kids when I'm going to get married at 22. I'll be done having children by the time I'm 30. And you know, this is how my life's going to go. Well, of course, real life never works how our eight year old brains think that it will. So ended up not um, having a child until I was in my late 30s. And at that point, I had already had almost 20 years of corporate experience under my belt. I had you know, a long journey to get to where I was to get to the point of parenting. But, you know, along the way, I was in one of the most competitive, biggest companies in the world. I was rising the corporate ladder. I was traveling internationally 
exceptionally on a regular basis. Here's my little, uh, you know, preview for world schooling. I was definitely traveling internationally for business and learning about different cultures, learning about negotiation, learning about effective communication, learning how to communicate with people who often might not have wanted anything to do with what I had to say, but it was my job to help persuade them and help them, you know, take a different perspective or at least be open to a conversation about whatever I was trying to do work-wise. So little did I know all of that was actually parenting training. And along the way, I did some fun things. I went back and got a master's degree. I decided for fun in the evenings, I would go to improvisational comedy school and got a comedy certificate from a a really fun comedy school. You know, I, I did things to kind of just be playful throughout my life in addition to the corporate job so by the time i had my child in my late 30s i had it was time for me to move on from that life to being mama and i'll spare you the story of that transition that's a whole book unto itself But once I decided to be mama, I thought, you know, I want to do all the research I possibly can, because even though I've done all of this adult stuff and I think I know how to parent, I'm actually clueless. I don't have any idea how to raise this little human and have the kind of foundation where we're still going to want to hang out together when she is a teenager, much less a young adult and so on and so forth. So want to get this right as right as I possibly can for her. So I started researching positive parenting, positive discipline, and all of my preconceived notions of the kind of parent I thought I would be. I thought I would be very mainstream. I thought I would be very traditional. I don't know why I thought that, but I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm a funny balance between type A and type B personality. In some ways, I'm really low key, no big deal. In other ways, I'm nope, this is the way we do things and what have you. And I didn't understand how that would manifest as a parent. So knowing that I wanted to have a connection-based relationship with her, my first child, um, I researched all the things I could possibly find. And the more I learned about brain science, the more I learned about um, neuroplasticity, not only for me as an adult, but also for her as a child who I wanted to raise to be resilient and caring and loving and a world citizen who would understand different cultures and different perspectives and you know what kind of human do i want to raise throughout this process that led me to positive parenting now as i mentioned i had traveled around the world quite a bit primarily for work Um, as luck would have it my husband prior to meeting me also had traveled quite a bit. We both had lived in different countries outside the United States, our home base. So we both had that as our foundation. Now, once we met our child and started thinking about what do we want her life to look like? We know we both like travel, so we'll take vacations whenever we can. You know, And then we started looking at schooling options and there are certainly lots of great schools around the world and i want to preface everything else i'm going to say in our discussion around the baseline of i have huge respect for the traditional school system 
I grew up in it. I thrived in it. I was, for the most part, pretty happy, happy there from an academic standpoint, not always from a social standpoint, but from an academic standpoint, it worked well for me. By the same token, we started realizing that we do have the travel, travel bug. We do want to expose our child to other cultures. And with our respective work schedules, we can't always say that our travel is only going to happen between the months of June and August, where summer vacation typically is in the United States. And not to mention, we have family all over the place. So how do we build in seeing family scattered across the country with wanting to do the international travel that we want to do. But hold on, we don't have unlimited income. So what alternatives do we have? Can we create a life where the world schooling, the travel is part of our core existence so that it's just how we live, it's just how we do things, and it folds in so naturally to child-led learning, to positive parenting, to all of the things that we really want as life goals above and beyond educational goals. So that is the medium-length, long-winded version of how I got to where I am today. And of that, Dandelion Seeds Positive Parenting was born as well, where hopefully I can educate and empower other parents to parent in ways that foster connection and social emotional growth and intelligence and all the things that we want our kids to have as they grow up. Nice. Thank you so much. I heard so many, it's like so many great things I want to jump on and, and that I'm curious about. Um, for, I'm, I'm, I also was a kind of a, an older mother. I had my kids at 37 and 39. And um, my husband and I also had both traveled and lived in different places. Um, and then the, the same, like I hear you with the creative constraints of the job, the timing, the money, you know, it's like you have to balance all these things and try to, try to work within that to, to divine the life that you really want to have. Um, and I also really love that you, you talked about how you, you did do well in traditional school and that your choice to do something else was not a knock on traditional school. It was just that you had this like purpose and passion to do, to have more of an international life. And you had really clear ideas and a lot of great self-awareness of what you wanted. And so you just took a conscious choice to do something different. Um, and I hear a lot of growth mindset in your, in your talking, which is, uh, you know, always such a great topic. So thank you. Um, and so how did that how did that manifest itself? Like when you're, you, you said you had a daughter, how old's your daughter now? Now she is pushing seven and a half, the right old age. Oh, okay. And you have, how many children do you have? Hmm, here's a tricky one. I'm actually saying to people these days, I have two, one in heaven and one on earth. I'm practicing saying that because as a whole side combination or as a whole side topic rather, you know, I really want to normalize child loss and um, pregnancy loss. I had a fairly late term pregnancy loss. And just because it is as common as it is, I want other people to know that it's out there and, you know, not to take us into a sad or tricky topic, but yeah. it's taken me, you know, seven and a half years to really feel, you know, 
the tears come, but they don't always fall out when I say it anymore. Yeah, and I want people to know that if they're watching this and they've had a loss, or perhaps they haven't, and God forbid they have one someday, I want them to know that they're not alone. So that's why I say I have two babies, one who I never got to hold in my arms, but the other one who I have the incredible privilege of raising here on earth. Aw, thank you. I think that's so kind of you to, to normalize the grief. Um, I do sense your sadness and share it with you. And, um, and I really um, thank you for your vulnerability here. I think that is really helpful to a lot of people. Um, so your, um, how, tell me more about how your, like how this manifests. So seven, seven, your, your current child is seven and a half. Yep. Okay. So she would normally be like entering second grade right about now. And so how does that look? Are you homeschooling with her right now in Boulder? Did we you are homeschooling? Uh-huh. Yep. Um, how it looked for us is, goodness, when she was 18 months old, so just a little thing, she did her first cross-country move. We moved from one end of the country all the way over to the other end where we moved to Seattle. And, you know, that was an interesting learning experience unto itself. From there, we started going, you know what, Seattle is fantastic. Seattle is also all the stereotypes of being cold and rainy. So we want to be able to go someplace warm from time to time. Let's just start this travel now. So at the time, my husband was still doing traditional corporate work as well. But when he did take a break, one of her first international trips, um, well, backing up, we did travel domestically to see family and things like that. So we kind of got the travel thing figured out when she was really quite little. And I think her first international trip was when she was maybe four, three or four. And that trip was to Mexico. And during that trip, or perhaps even shortly beforehand, we started wondering, you know, perhaps we could move to Mexico. Let's check it out. Let's talk to people and see if we can connect with other expats who are there. So, of course, we got on Facebook and looked up every expat group that we could in the areas of Mexico where we were going. And we ended up meeting numerous kind and generous families from all over the world, but who were not native to Mexico, who shared with us how they made it work for them. So that was a great learning experience to open our minds to this really could be a lifestyle if we choose to pursue it. And And how long were you there? Sorry, in Mexico. Oh, no problem. Yeah, that was a fairly short trip. That was, you know, several months of research and online discussions that culminated in a week and a half trip. That was a short one. Uh, That one felt more like a vacation, except for we were there with business brain. And like, can we make this work? It wasn't just, oh, vacation, you know, ocean. It was was a different perspective. Um, From there, we continued to travel. And long story short, our most recent expedition pre-COVID was to Portugal. Um, Portugal was lovely. We spent about a month and a half there and absolutely fell in love with it. But while we were there, we said, you know, I speak French and France is just well, almost next door, just a, you know, a hop over Spain next door. So let's go and check out some areas of France where I spent spent a lot of time. And we 
explored to see whether that might become a home base for us for a while. So sure enough, we spent another month and a half in France and from there went over to Spain and checked that out for a while and then came back to the States because COVID was starting to set in and it was time to come back to a place where, where we knew we could come back for a while while we figured out what in the world was happening with, well, the world itself at this point. Right. So our world's cooling journey has been a lot of international travel, certainly a lot of domestic travel as well. I think my daughter has seen, oh goodness, um, probably about a third of the states in the U.S. at this point, and for seven and a half, that's you know pretty good. Certainly more than I had seen at her age. We do a lot of child-led learning, so although I will purchase the occasional workbook, coloring sheet, what have you, I work to make it fun. It is not obligatory. It is not, well, it's 8.30 in the morning, so we're going to open our books and turn to page whatever, and you have to finish this by, you know, 10 a.m. That's not the way I parent. And the benefit of world schooling and homeschooling in this way is that we do it when it works. And when she is engaged, when she wants to do it, oh, my goodness, that eager little mind is like a sponge. And then she's learning from passion and learning from excitement rather than, you know, well, mama gave me another worksheet, so now I have to sit down and do it. So we study all sorts of things. I do make sure we have one of the most active library cards on the face of the planet, probably. When they say, oh, you have a hundred books you can check out. Like, Great, I'll knock that out this week. So we read a lot of library books. I make sure that they're really diverse. So for example, just this week, we have everything from um, a biography of Helen Keller to we have a couple of different books about how kids with disabilities function in the world. We have some just good old fashioned fun stories to read because we want this to be enjoyable, you know, and so on down the line of pick your topic. We probably have it on our bookshelf right now. Thanks to our local library. There's your library commercial for the day. Yeah, that's amazing. So, so tell us about, um, sort of like your trajectory of a day, like it's like a Wednesday in the middle of the month and you're in Boulder. Like what does, tell us just about kind of the trajectory of your day. Sure. So as I mentioned, I don't really, I know that to some extent kids really do thrive on structure. So I do know that generally speaking, we're going to have, you know, breakfast first. She, her, her screen time, her cartoon time is while I'm getting ready in the morning and she knows it's predictable, it's going to be turned on at this time and then turned off at this time. We don't do a lot of screen-based e-learning at this point, but for the occasional video of something that is of specific interest to her. So if you want to know anything about NASA videos, I can tell you because we've watched probably all of them. <laughs> um, but we don't do a lot of screen time. We really do reserve that for early in the day. We then will do playtime because I have noticed that with my child at least, and I believe is true for many children, they will be much more receptive to learning if they have had a chance to connect with their big person, with their teacher, even if teacher happens to be mama, they will learn much better if they're feeling connected. They will feel like, ah, oh, my play bucket is full. 
or even for an older kid, although I don't have an older child myself, I've certainly counseled people with older children. And even if it's just, what do you want to do for a while? You want to hang out? You want to go for a walk together? Whatever it is that builds that connection is a great way to start the day. From there, before lunch, that's usually when we have some natural sit-down time. Either we're tired from playing or we're tired because we've just taken a long hike somewhere. And we will sit down and do our reading or do our coloring and writing together, whatever the case may be. So lunch. Let, sorry, no, just I give us like, I just love where people have like a really concrete idea. So if you don't mind, give us like three examples of ways that you've played in the last two weeks or month that would, you know, just during that play time. Well, sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let me think. Well, we recently moved house. So yesterday's morning playtime was we were going to, um, she had told me that one of her stuffed animals wanted to move house as well, because of course she's playing through her real life scenarios. So she has a play tent that we have not yet put together in our new house. And we played by building Ellie the elephant's new house together. That said, this is a great way to show where play can still be learning. It wasn't just putting together this tent. It was engineering. It was math. It was science. It was matching up which pole goes where. And honestly, I put her in charge of most of it because she was having to figure out the calculations of what should go where. Otherwise, it wouldn't fit correctly and it would fall over. So it was play, and then Ellie the elephant got to move in, and we had a welcome party, and that was part of our morning. So that's one example. Another example might be, oh, goodness, let me think. Um, Oh, this afternoon she wanted to color for a while. So we just sat down and colored. It was still, it was physical touch. It was you know, a way for her just to feel like we're doing what I want to do for a while. This is not mommy imposing something upon me. And lastly, um, I love incorporating nature play into our learning as well. So the other day, she didn't want to go on a walk for our playtime. She wanted to stay home. And while I do my best to honor that need to rest and relax and that sort of thing, I said, you know what, I'm going to double check whether the desire is actually to stay home or if she's tired of this and it's feeling mundane. So I said, we can stay home. Or if we go outside, we can go on a fairy hunt. Do you want to go look for fairies and see if we can find any good places that they might live around our neighborhood? Oh, yes, she wanted to go on the fairy hunt. So she willingly put on her shoes and got herself out the door. So it was another really fun way to build in something that was, it was, I would say, a hybrid of adult-led and child-led, but it was something that she had fully bought into, and it worked beautifully into our connection time for the morning. I love that. So I want to, I want to go, I want to hear the rest of the schedule, but I just want to say with the fairy thing real quickly, I can tell that you, um, you know, maybe not every person can, um, respond as quickly with like, Hey, let's come up with a creative idea. Um, but I know from, from listening to other interviews with you and things that you talk about how play as an adult is something that we have to actually cultivate 
And then you also, and, and practice like as a skill. And then also you mentioned improv. I've also done, done some improv and acting classes, which have just, wow, like just in, really added a lot to my life. So um, tell us more about that, about how someone as an adult who is coming to this, like, how, how do I do this? You know, like what, how, what are your tips for cultivating a sense of play and learning how to be able to do the yes and of improv that's like, you know, going with the flow and channeling always to fun instead of like the resistance that I think so many of us experience as a parent and that, that kind of provides a lot of friction that we don't necessarily want. I love that you asked that. And yes, and is my love language. That is perfect. I love that you called that out specifically. And yeah, you're so right. Play does not come naturally to most of us anymore. It's so sad that it disappears. I don't know what exactly what age it does. But you know, we've become these stoic, you know, statues of adults most of the time. And we're so good at imposing things on our children. And the yes, and philosophy for those who don't know it is where you take what is real, you take what is happening and whatever is happening, you simply build on to it. So there is no talking somebody out of their feelings. There's no talking somebody out of what their reality is. You figure out what's their reality right now and you simply build upon that. And that is one of the core principles of playful parenting as well. So a short example of how it might manifest, and I'll use an example for a, a littler kid, um, you know, a child who doesn't want to, uh, and by the way, I give lots of examples of this in my course, as well as in an upcoming summit that I'm doing. So if people want to know more, I, I'm happy to give a thousand different places where I talk about it more. Right. But let's say a child has gotten out all the toy cars all over the floor and it's suddenly a toy car you know minefield for our poor feet and of course the child doesn't want to put them away they're having a lot of fun and if we can realize adult brain says mess must clean clutter stresses me out that's not at all how a child is ever going to see those toy cars child is going to see amazing parking lot i built here so if you can see your child's experience, your child is having fun with these toy cars and you can say, yes, these are, yes, and these are amazing toy cars. Look at this fantastic parking lot you've made. Let's drive the cars into the parking garage. Parking garage might be the toy bin or it might be, you know, under the couch where they're all lined up at some place where they're not a tripping or slipping hazard. That is an example of seeing things from the child's perspective and simply building upon the story that they have in their mind versus trying to encourage a transition that they're simply not ready for in that moment. Works really well for school-related things too. Right, right. Wow. Thank you so much. I think that's so helpful to parents. And um, when, you, when you talk about this, um, I, I get a little bit of sadness because I know, like I, like I said before, like sometimes I have a tendency to be a little bit over controlling growing up mess was not tolerated in my environment at all. And not to criticize my parents or anything like that, but like I have a neat freak tendency. So I, um, you know, do you, or, or do you ever experience that? Or like, 
what counsel do you have for parents or do you deal with this in your courses of like how to kind of let yourself off the not no like how do you kind of like forgive yourself for that and then grab onto that vine of playing and 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 learn how to turn it around in your own life do, am I, do, do, are you relating to what I'm saying? I have goosebumps because it relates so strongly. It really resonates. Yes, absolutely. Many of us have that emotional reaction when we are in that moment. And it, it is this happy, sad thing of, oh, I'm so happy to see my child playing and having a good time. And this is causing anxiety in me. And this doesn't feel good. And I want this, this, and this. And our anxious brains start feeling the need to control and the need to fix whatever we see in front of us. And that's rooted in all sorts of things, much of which, which of course, is in our own childhoods, not always, but often. And I hear you on that. You're absolutely not alone. So yeah, in that moment, you can do a couple of things. First of all, one of the questions I ask myself when I get into that mode is, okay, who is this a problem for right now? Is what I'm seeing a problem for my child or is it a problem for me? If there's something that's stressing my child out, okay, we can attack that one way. But if I'm realizing this is my issue, she is okay with this, what can I do to find peace with it? I have a couple of options. One option might be to remember, first of all, every other house with children around the world is more likely than not to look just like mine does. This is normal. And any preconceived notion I have of what a house should look like probably isn't based on many of our realities. So if I can give myself the grace to go, it's okay, this is normal for a child to want to do, and find some peace with their experience with it, that can be helpful. But what about my own anxiety, right? What do we do with? Well, yeah, well, first, I love that, that you're, it's like you're calling out, you're like metacognating that there's this like comparison in our minds. Like, I'm not good enough, or I'm not okay enough, or this should look different, or everyone else is doing it differently. And so you, it, I love that, like that you can realize, like, slow down. This there's, this is a child, you know, a child lives here. This home is about raising a child. So let's like normalize the mess, take a deep breath and then like decide what we're going to do. So I, that's, I think that's going to be so helpful for people. Thank you. Well, thank you. I hope so. Yeah. And you know, as I was saying, and then we do come back to, but wait a minute, it actually is stressing me out. What do I do with this? You know, all sorts of different directions we can go here too. First of all, Notice where you feel it in your body. You know, do you feel it in your gut? Do you feel it in your shoulders? Do you feel it, you know, do you get a headache from it? Notice that and, you know, all the things, if you've ever done yoga, if you pray, you know, no matter what your calming technique or your calming perspective is, use that tool. We all have our calming techniques. Use it to get grounded. And in that grounding, in that moment where we pause before going, oh, need to fix this mess. Oftentimes, that's when we'll remember things like, oh, wait, one of the tools I have available is playful parenting. I can decide how I want to handle this. And we oftentimes forget we have a choice right now. How do we envision this turning out well? What are the different options we have right now? 
So I almost, I, I almost feel like I want to have like a literal tool belt or a literal something on my body where I can like grab and say, okay, I've got playful. I've got yes. And I've got, you know, uh, a mindfulness technique. I can take five and go breathe, you know, because I think it takes such a great deal of self-awareness and mindful presence of mind to stay there. Because I think for so many parents, it's like a knee jerk reaction, the amygdala fires, and then you're just there and you're just saying all the wrong things and your child's like tender, open hearted self is sustaining some level of damage. (laughs) You're, you've just made a mess of it and you don't want to do it. Of course you don't want to do that. You never want to do that. So I just, I love, I'm like seeing myself in my mind with like a tool belt and I'm, and all the things that you've just said are hanging off of it. And I could just grab one of those. I'm going to keep that in my mind. Oh, good. Yeah. And certainly in those moments where we feel like I really do need to address this right now, like my stress level is too high or, you know, or perhaps we're selling the house and we have a showing in five minutes, like this stuff can't be out on the floor. You know, we have yeah, time pressure. Start with our I statements instead of you need to clean this up. I'm feeling, fill in the blank with your authentic feeling, you know, ask your child for their input. How can we solve this problem together? You know, and so often our kids will come up with the best solutions better than we even ourselves would have come up with. It's something that works for them. Of course, they'll buy into it because it was their idea. And of course, they think all their ideas are brilliant because they are. Yeah, because they are. They truly are. Yeah. Engage the kids. I mean, we've got so many options. We've you know, sidetracked on world schooling, but guess what? All of these issues still exist no matter where you're living. Even in travel, these things still come up. So yeah, we we can have a whole separate conversation about all this stuff if you'd like. Playful parenting is is a thing unto itself. That's amazing. Thank you. And tell, okay, so let's go back to your day-to-day. So you did morning, breakfast, a little bit of tune time, and then um, playing. And then probably there's like a sit down transition in there where you're focusing maybe explicitly on some academics or, you know, reading or something like that. And then I think you were at lunch. Yeah. So after lunch, um, weather permitting, one of my favorite things to do, especially pre-COVID, was let's find a way we can learn through experience. So you know, this Thursday, for example, even in COVID times here, we are joining a group of local parents and children who are going on a bird watching walk together. And the woman who's leading it is going to teach us about birds. She's going to teach us about the native plants and the native terrain over which we're hiking. So right there, let's see, we've covered, you know, earth science, we've covered by the way, we've also covered the socializing bit that people sometimes think doesn't exist in homeschooling and world schooling, but of course it does. Um, we have covered probably communication too and reading and literacy because we're going to go home and read a book about the birds and the things and the earth and whatever that we just saw. So we'll go do our activity. I like an activity-based learning, field trip whenever we can. And then we usually come home and we wrap up the day with an activity related to what we just learned about. As I mentioned, read a book about the birds, perhaps we'll draw or write a story about birds. We'll find something that inspires us. And it is amazing how easy it is to fill the academic 
buckets, so to speak, simply by living life and realizing, yeah, this all counts. And I'm going to learn a heck of a lot more about earth science by touching the earth and by looking at the rocks and perhaps finding a fossil for myself and going home and figuring out what am I looking at? What did I find today? Than simply opening up a textbook and reading about it. Again, textbooks aren't all bad. They have a place and particularly depending on the child's learning style, they really fit in too. But I'm all about experience tied to the academic part. I love that. And, and I'm just imagining now, yeah, like people maybe tend to think of school, like you're saying, in between the hours of, you know, eight and three, but learning is not limited to that. We, the school that I have and the kind of school that I went to is a Montessori school. So we focus very much on practical life. So I'm imagining that after school, and I'm putting that in air quotes, is over, that then there's like the planning, the meal, the making, the dinner, the setting the table, and that I'm imagining that your daughter is involved in all of that also. Am I right? You are so right. Yeah, absolutely. She is, because she wants to be, she is as involved as she wants to be any given night. You know, I mean, we might end up with a little more basil in our meal than we planned, but, you know, she has fun with figuring out what works and what doesn't. So, yeah, we're doing math every time we bake. You know, we are doing planning and logistics every time she contributes to the grocery list and the preparation, whatever. And I love that you touched on what time school starts and ends. I'm all about the Montessori style and learning. I'm a huge fan of that. So I love that you do that work. But yeah, there's a day where, you know, heck, let me be honest. If there's a week where she has no interest in any of these so-called academic stuff, no big deal. I let it go. The next week, she'll probably double up just because she's interested. And school doesn't start and stop at a certain time. I don't stick to that schedule. We do what works. We do whatever we want to be flexible with. And if some nights we finish dinner early enough, I can say to her, hey, this is where sneaky mommy comes in sometimes a little bit. Hey, do you want to stay up 15 minutes later and do a, you know, a coloring math sheet? Oh yeah, I want to stay up late. I'm like, okay, I'm watching her doing her, you know, addition, subtraction or multiplication or whatever she's working on. And, you know, okay, I feel like I can check it off the list because she got to stay up late and it totally works. It counts. It doesn't matter what time of day we do it. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's great. And like no, having that awareness of wh- what times and when to take advantage of the motivation and, and things like that. You can tell that you're very attuned to, to her and what will work. Um, what's your daughter's name? Leah. Leah. Oh, beautiful. Um, yes. Great. So um, did you consider other sort of different alternative schooling arrangements or were you, you sound like a researcher when you talk, like you you are a person who likes to do their research before they make a decision. Um, So did you look into other ways of, of schooling or of learning or did you this was just kind of like the homeschool world school was just so appropriate for your family that that was just immediately what you chose i love that you asked that question certainly i did do the research you guessed correctly um 
By the same token, I didn't decide ahead of time because I needed to get to know my child first. I had to see if it would work for her specifically. And when she was two, we tried a preschool co-op and it was very Montessori inspired. It wasn't full Montessori, but it was two-year-olds, you know, filling cups of water for each other and, you know, really practicing the life skills and all that. So we did that. And in some ways, that was a fantastic match. That was also when we started realizing that our daughter is highly sensitive and she doesn't necessarily like being around big groups or lots of chaos or things like that. So we started just making notes about who is this person that we're raising and what kind of education would benefit her brain and her learning style the most. Age two was certainly not a final decision. By the time she was, you know, three and four, we were trying some more preschool type things. Again, um, we, we tried forest school, um, which had lots of benefits to what I mostly learned about myself there is I was with her for the classes and we were in Seattle at the time. I don't necessarily want to be in the forest when it's 32 degrees Fahrenheit and, you know, rainy and slushy and whatever. That's, that doesn't bring me a lot of joy on a regular basis. Sometimes it's a lot of fun, but um, I didn't want to be outside quite that much. So we tried that. We did go to a really, really wonderful cooperative preschool with, um, Teacher Tom, I don't know if you know him, but he is a world-renowned play-based um, preschool teacher and internationally um, international speaker. He, he gets hired by all sorts of wonderful organizations around the world to speak about the importance of play and early childhood and things like that. So I got to know him there. And the first summer that we went there, um, I think it was ages two through five or six, all in the same classroom. Most of it was outdoors. There was a little bit of indoor time, but most of it was outdoors. It was not your typical playground. It was what some would call a junkyard playground where it was, you know, old tires and things that would make most parents faint with worry if they saw, you know, what these kids are playing with. But it's done in a way that's safe and inspires resiliency and trust and, you know, growth, not to mention all the social emotional stuff that kids learn from being in a group that isn't just their age peer group. So would, sorry, would you call that like loose parts play or something similar to Angie play? That was definitely a big part of it. Yeah, it wasn't exclusive to that, but there were certainly lots of loose parts around. No doubt about it. So yeah, um, we did that. And then basically the older my child got, the more we realized, yeah, she really doesn't like big groups. She really doesn't like being put on the spot to do things. For example, if I say to her now, can you read me this page from this book? She's not a fan of doing that. And more likely than not, I will get resistance from her. However, she will willingly and excitedly come to me and hold up the same book two hours later, you know, perhaps a different page and say, mommy, does this say, you know, and she'll read stuff to me because then it's her deciding rather than the pressure. So lots of things made us think traditional school probably isn't a great match for her. She likes traveling. We like traveling. And we thought, you know, I think we're just going to keep trying this homeschool thing and this world schooling thing for as long as it works, be it for another year or 
forever. And she always gets input. If at some point she says, I want to try something different, we'll talk about it. We'll be open to whatever feeds her brain and feeds her social emotional wellness in the best way for her. Nice. So thank you so much. It sounds like, um, I'm just like putting myself in the shoes of, of other parents too, that, um, if you, let's say you're a mom, but you work and you're committed to working and, um, but you also want to give this type of experience to your child, like what would be your advice to someone who couldn't be there all day, um, or, or, you know, had a different choice, what would you, what would you counsel them? Sure. Sure. Yeah. First of all, I've been there and I get it. And then even just managing dandelion positive parenting, that takes up in very good ways, more and more time as it grows. And, you know, it's a baby in its own right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I understand not being able to be with my child 24 seven, you know, there are pros and cons to that. We are very fortunate right now that my husband is currently working from home. So we are, we are very creative in our work hours. So we don't have perhaps the typical balance that some people do where they work eight to five and then at, you know, 501, I can let work go and just relax tonight. So it's not at all unusual for me to be doing my work from you know, 8, 30, 9 o'clock, whenever she goes to bed until midnight, whenever I decide I just can't keep my eyes open anymore. Yeah. So okay. And I did not mean to imply that you are not, that like dandelion season is not working. I, I meant like someone who has to go out and go to their job pre-COVID and then needs to send their child to a learning environment. Um, I'm the same, like I have a school, so my kids are with me, but I'm still always working. So it's, it's a, you have to find a balance and and I understand, but someone who can't or isn't going to be homeschooling, that's what I meant. Sure, sure. And I, um, I should have been more brief in my uh, explanation there no, to no. my personal situation. But for that mama who you just described, first of all, no, it's all right. There are a lot of people in your shoes who do make it work. And the ways they do that are, for example, they will find anything from, depending on the age of the child, there are certainly different types of schools that offer part-time solutions. For example, a lot of the alternative schools are open to alternative arrangements. Some are mornings only, some are, you know, weekends only or whatever. So depending on what your work schedule is, you may be able to find something where your child can be there part of the time in really good hands and enhancing their education without you having to be the one to do that. A lot of times when we think about homeschooling, we think home, that means me. But homeschooling can mean another qualified adult giving your child access to the information they need. There are even some public schools that not in the area where I am currently, but certainly in areas where I have lived that offer part-time solutions as well. Yeah, I think we're so often people think there aren't other alternative choices. So that's, that I think opens up some possibilities and definitely the, the motivation to go out and, and look, start knocking on doors, asking questions, Googling it, asking people you know, because there may be solutions that you just haven't thought of or aren't aware of. Exactly, exactly. And if somebody is working a typical eight to five job, know that 
as long as you have a good place for your child to go during that time, homeschooling and world schooling do not take nearly the amount of time that traditional brick and mortar schools do. Oftentimes, our kids can pick up in you know, 20 minutes of dedicated one-on-one -on -one instruction, something that a teacher might have had to spend you know, three hours worth of class time explaining and re-explaining to an entire classroom full of kids, trying to help them all get up to speed for whatever testing, you know, standardized testing they have coming up. So homeschooling and world schooling really don't take the time that traditional brick and mortar schooling does. Yes, I know that's been, that's been my experience too. Um, definitely. And I think that that is, um, when I first decided to leave the traditional system, that was one of the things that encouraged me to do it because I realized like, oh, this is actually more efficient. It takes a fraction of the time. And that allowed me to kind of lower my fear level <clears throat> and to take a risk to do it um, among some other things. And um, so as I mentioned, we're, you know, we really want to reach out to those parents who are standing on this precipice of like, I want to do something else, but I don't know what to do. And I'm kind of scared. I mean, this is a scary proposition to do something out of the normal. Um, so what advice would you give someone in that position coming from your experience? Sure. Well, first of all, I would say it's totally normal. I feel your worries. They're common to every parent who has ever taken a sleep if they have come from a traditional mindset. That said, homeschooling is the way everybody learned up until not that long ago, historically. Kids learn what they need to learn. And if there's something that we don't personally feel equipped to teach them, there's always somebody else who can. That person might be somebody on the internet. You know, I might have trouble explaining, I don't know, long division to my child someday, but if I don't explain it in a way that she can understand, there's probably somebody on the internet who can. Perhaps I have a neighbor who's a math teacher or a friend who's, you know, an accountant who says, you know, I can explain this in a way that's going to resonate with your kid. We don't have to be the be-all, end-all when it comes to what our children are going to learn. There are so many great resources out there. And on top of that, our kids are natural-born learners. They deserve so much more credit than we often give them. They are watching and learning. You know, we didn't give them walking lessons. We didn't give them talking lessons where we go around for an entire day saying, today I'm going to make, you know, the ah sound repeat after me. Kids learn because they're ready to learn. And so many of the things that will prepare them for real life, for the actual jobs that they will need someday, are the things that they will pick up simply by virtue of being exposed to them and having the opportunity to try these things for themselves. Thank you. I agree. The, I, when, when I think about, um, well, for a minute, I was thinking of asking you to explain sort of how do you know which curriculum they need at which age. But, but then as, as you were talking, 
what I actually want to be able to express to our listeners is that you really don't have to follow a curriculum that tightly in order to ensure that they know everything that maybe one of, one of the questions that we like to ask in our trainings is what is more important mindset or preparation? And so when, when I hear you, I hear so much that it's this mindset of the school day doesn't end at eight and doesn't start at eight and end at three. The hike is so much more than just a hike the child's absorbent mind is going to learn from every single encounter and, and um, experience that it has. And so it's sort of like let, allowing parents, instead of clinging to where's the curriculum, where's the list, where's the checkbox, you know, where's the checklist, and kind of relaxing into learning is a process that kind of self propagates or, you know, I don't know exactly how to explain that, but maybe, maybe you could just talk a little bit about that, the mindset of being a homeschooler, or world schooler, and kind of letting go of that hard and fast curriculum. Oh my goodness. You ask such good questions. Yeah. Um, preparation versus mindset. I will use this analogy for the preparation part of it. This year, you know, I, I've virtually never set New Year's resolutions, but this year I set a New Year's resolution. I was going to stop, totally cut out Amazon.com from my existence. I was going to only shop locally and support my local businesses. I was only going to either grow my own vegetables or buy from farmer's markets. Like I had all of these plans that I was going to do in 2020. Well, you know what? All of my preparation went out the window when COVID hit. And, you know, you're welcome, Amazon. Yes, you have a lot of my money already this year. So that preparation got me nowhere. Homeschooling can work that way. For some kids, they'll be totally receptive to whatever you plan. And, you know, within some normal degree of variation, your plan will work for them and they'll be happy about it. You know, notice my emphasis on they'll be happy about it. But reality is our mindset is the biggest contributing factor to our success as homeschoolers. As I mentioned, we, we use curriculum loosely, but the very best curriculum I ever bought, here's my homeschooling curriculum tip, very best curriculum I ever bought was a dry erase whiteboard. Thanks, mate. <laughs> I never saw it coming myself, but you know, my child doesn't perhaps know all of the things that a typical second grader does. However, the other day we were sitting down at breakfast and something came up that would lend itself totally directly to fractions. And I went, huh. Okay, I think I can go here now. Like we're, we're in the middle of breakfast. So this is not when we would typically do this. But sure, I grabbed it. You know, it's not a very big one. I grabbed it, put it on the breakfast table. And I drew a pie and, you know, divided it into quarters and said, what do you think a quarter of this would look like? And she willingly grabbed the marker because, of course, it's fun to draw on it. She filled in a quarter of it. And I said, okay. And I thought, I'm going to be tricky here. What do you think an eighth would look like? Well, I'd only drawn quarters. 
and she's only seven. So I thought, let's just see what happens. But sure enough, she went and she cross divided the quarter and she said, well, it would look like this. And I went, I don't know how in the world you pick up, picked up fractions, but somehow that clicked. And I never in a million years could have prepared ahead of time for that discussion to have transpired, much less had a workbook in my hand ready to teach it in the moment any more effectively than that whiteboard afforded us the opportunity when we just went with it and allowed the natural dialogue to happen. Wow, I love that. I love that. It really reminds me of Maria Montessori, follow the child. Just you follow the child, you pretty much cannot go wrong. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, to be totally fair, when I was talking about our typical day, I talked about a typical day, but tomorrow's typical day might not look at all like that. We follow the child and I'm not Montessori trained. I just know, hey, that's what works for us. It's natural learning in action. That's great. That's great. Um, So I always ask this question and um, it's kind of a a tough one is that um, I love metaphor. Like I think, you know, metaphor is just such a powerful way of communicating. And sometimes I have struggled to find great metaphors for um, kind of traditional school compared to a a different type of alternative. And um, so I've had people I'm trying now I can't even think of one like every time I interview someone I ask this question so if you could and sometimes people like they they're like I don't know and then later they email me it's awesome so uh, if you could think of like some kind of a metaphor for the difference between the traditional system and what you're doing what would that be oh I like this question being the you know book lover that I am. Metaphors are my love language. So let me think here. Um, metaphor that came to mind, spur of the moment here, is you can get a cake mix from the store. You can get a beautiful box of yellow cake mix or chocolate cake mix or whatever it is. You can pull it off the shelf and you can look at it and say, this is going to make something yummy. But you can look at the ingredients list and say, but you know what? I'm not sure I want this, this, or this going into my body. Or maybe I'm okay with it. I don't know. You can look at this and say, maybe it works. I know more or less what I'm going to get when it comes out of the oven. It's predictable. But if I want to somehow modify it, I don't really have the opportunity to do that. Let's say I have even, we're also an allergy family. So if I have, let's say an egg sensitivity, oh dear, it says calls for three eggs and three eggs only. Oh dear, suddenly this doesn't work for me. Similarly, the boxed approach isn't going to work for everybody. And for those of us who say, you know what, I want to make a cake too, but my cake might not look or taste or feel the same as the boxed one. What can I do instead of eggs? What else would work? What else would still be yummy? And what happens if I add pumpkin spice to that? I can really make something interesting here. And I get to create it from a labor of love. 
and mold it into whatever shape, you know, cupcakes, sheet pan, whatever it is, something that excites me in the moment. And the end result is you still get a cake either way. Your child's going to learn, but one of them is going to be the predetermined, here's your result. The other one gives you the flexibility, not necessarily in a more difficult way, but just in a more customized way to say, this is what truly works for me. This is the type of cake education that I want to be baking for 18 years. <laughs> wow, that is so good. And I could see that I could extend that metaphor in so many ways. So I really appreciate that. I'm definitely going to use that. Um, so tell us a little bit about um, the government. So um, what is, you know, like you're in Colorado right now, do they have certain requirements for your child to be in school or for you to prove that they're learning certain things? Or, you know, how does a parent sort of navigate that? As you know, I'm not even sitting in the United States, so I'm in a different context. And I think every state is different. But so tell us a little bit more if you're a parent and you're worried about the government regulations, what would you tell them? That's a great question. First of all, if you are world schooling or if you are schooling in the United States, every state, every country has its own requirements. So at the time of this recording, I can say, for example, some of the countries that we checked out were more homeschooling friendly. Mexico was more homeschooling friendly. Portugal was more homeschooling friendly. I say that with a little bit of an asterisk because there are some requirements that you need to fulfill to be officially doing what you're doing. It's, um, it's a little bit of a tricky territory right now. Uh, no pun intended with uh, territories, but <laughs> state by state, country by country, check and see what the local laws and requirements are. It is legal to homeschool in every one of the 50 United States. The requirements, however, do differ from state to, to state. I can say, for example, with certainty, because we were there for a while too, Texas, you can do whatever you want. If your child is in school and you're pulling them out, all you need to do is send a letter per their official process. And I would encourage you to look it up. Um, if you're there, send a letter that you are withdrawing your child. And from then on out, it's really fair game what you do. Uh, um, other states are much more stringent in their requirements, including regular testing by someone who's not the parent. Um, and everywhere in between to make sure that the child is where they need to be. So you really do need to know your local laws, your local regulations, domestically and internationally. By the way, speaking of, you can look up things, but check the details. Um, I think it's, uh, is it Slovenia? Which country is it? There is a, an Eastern European country that we were looking at that is totally homeschooling friendly. What we didn't know until we were ready to really get serious about it was that the child does have to be tested once every three years in the local language. So if you're world schooling, make sure that your child will be equipped to be tested in the local language if that's something that you're considering doing. Okay. Wow. That is really good advice. That's not something you want to find out three years in <laughs> if you're not teaching in that language. That's great. 
Thank you. Thank you. So tell us more about your, I think you mentioned you have a, a course that's out already and a summit coming up. Yeah, I have. Um, I just launched. In fact, you are the one, one of the first people who I'm telling live and in person about it. I'm just now launching a series of positive parenting courses. And right now, I think I have lucky 13 on my website, but I have probably another 30 in the works on all sorts of positive parenting topics, everything from sibling rivalry to playful parenting to how do we calm down in the moment? What are some really specific actionable tools we can do when we catch ourselves reacting suboptimally with our children? Um, so I've got all sorts of topics. If it's a parenting issue, I'm probably going to get there. And I also do have a suggestion box. So if there's something you don't see today, let me know and I can reprioritize what's coming up next. So those are available now. Um, I, Where do I go to find those? Sorry. Where do I go to find those? Oh, sure. Um, dandelionseeds.com. Dandelion seeds has a hyphen. Dandelion-seeds.com. And they are under a courses drop down. So that's what's there today. Right now, I have a promotion where anybody who sends me a message letting me know that they want one can have access to one free course. Here is where these courses are going to be a little bit different from most of the other parenting courses out there. First of all, they are what I hope will be affordable to many. I personally got tired of, oh, great, there's a fantastic eight-week session, but it's $200. I don't always want to spend that kind of money. So um, I'm trying to keep these short classes for real parents who might say, I only have 10 minutes. I don't have time for an eight-week anything but you can buy them in a package of five classes. Most of the courses are under 20 minutes long. They're just a couple of big takeaways that you as a busy parent can use in the moment. And like I said, I've got a whole bunch of other topics coming up um, there as well. So let me know what you need. In addition, I am speaking about playful parenting in the upcoming um, Raised Good Summit along with a whole host of internationally renowned parenting experts and best-selling authors. So I am totally humbled that I get to be a part of that team with the Raised Good Summit. So when it's available, if you follow me on Facebook or if you follow the website or whatever, I will certainly, especially if you follow me on Facebook because I do a lot of my posting there, I will share information about how to get invited to the summit as well. And it's, it's full of People far more brilliant than I, I will be the first to confess it. So, I Fantastic. And tell me, <clears throat> do you do any coaching? Like you seem like you'd be such a great parent coach, but I, I know you maybe don't have time to do that, but do you, do you offer any kind of group or individual coaching? Thank you. Yes, actually I do. Awesome. Yeah. I, um, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I basically offer any, level of service that the parent needs anything from if they just want to follow me on social media for daily parenting inspiration and support they can do that um i certainly offer the courses that i just mentioned i do coaching sessions as well as i am a certified positive parenting coach and i do individual sessions for people and i'm happy to do and custom design whatever somebody needs because i know not all parenting solutions actually help because people have different needs so let me know what you need. And if I don't have it, I'll look into building it or offering it for you. Okay, awesome. Give us um, one 
amazing parenting book recommendation that goes with um, playful parenting. Ooh. Oh, can I? You're getting all my confessions. <laughs> I'm writing one. I'm writing one right now. It's not published yet. And, you know, God knows if it ever will be, but I'm writing one. So I'm hoping that that will be coming soon. But as far as other people's books who I can recommend about playful parenting, let me think. Um, oh, goodness. You know, this one that came to mind isn't actually, you know what? I take that back. I do have a really good one that is that talks about playful parenting. Um, How to talk so little kids will listen. Oh, the classic. I, yeah. I that book, the their original, right? Well, I can't remember yeah. their favor. I can't remember. Yeah. I, book, I lent it to one of my guides. But yeah, how to talk so kids will listen and listen so kids will talk kids will talk. But then there's this is the one for the little kids. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, how to talk so kids will listen is the one for older kids, and that one is absolutely just as phenomenal. I mentioned the how to talk so how how to talk so little kids will listen specifically because up till about age seven, it's all play. So that's why I mentioned that the little kids version specifically. Oh, fantastic! Thank you. Oh, that's so great. Well. The time has absolutely flown by. Um, I have loved talking with you. I feel really filled up and with tons of great ideas um, for how to, and I feel like encouraged to keep using play and to keep remembering. I'm telling you, I'm going to make a belt and hang little tags off of it and pull them whenever I need them during this COVID time. (laughs) So thank you so much. This has been absolutely delightful. And I think our, audience is going to learn a lot from you. Oh, well, my pleasure. You are just a joy and what a great, you know, job you do with this as well. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's a pleasure. And I'd be happy to talk again anytime. Thank you. And I'm definitely going to sign up for your, for your summit and I'm going to go and check out your courses. So great. Super appreciate it. And then let's talk again when your book comes out, we can talk about all the goodness that's in there. Fantastic. Thank you so much. All right, Sarah. Thank you. Thank you, Shannon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the New Schools Podcast. Tell a friend. Previous episodes and show notes, including any books or websites our guests recommend, can be found at thenewschools.com. If you're a parent who is looking for a new school for your family, send us a message. We would love to help. We can answer questions, share the resources we have, and help you get in touch with people in your area who are on the same path, determined to provide their kids with the best education. It's wildly important work. Thank you for doing it. And we'll see you next time.